They cried all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and upon our children. And he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed into his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And they spat on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. And they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said he saved others, but himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning, and we come to a section of Scripture, maybe the the holiest of all, or certainly leading to it, Lord God, as we focus on the Word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, that we would recognize and realize all that you have done for us. Father God, we ask that you would anoint this time with your presence That you would bless us as we open your word, Father, that we might be able to glorify you in all we do. 
And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin, we begin with Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. Now remember, he's brought to Pontius Pilate about the dawn. And I want you to lose sight of the things that have occurred. He was arrested sometime in the middle of the night, taken to Caiaphas and Annas' place, where they held an illegal trial. At that illegal trial, finally they, their accusation was uh, blasphemy, that he called himself the Son of God, that he was the Christ, uh, God manifest in the flesh, the ultimate king that was to come. And as he's there in that place, and as they've done that, they pronounce him guilty of blasphemy, and they throw him in a pit. And in the pit, he's met by all the soldiers of the temple guard, and they begin the beatings, the Bible tells us. They put a sack over his head, and they told him to prophesy who was hitting them. They struck him with their hands. They hit him with rods. They played with him down there in that pit, the same exact pit where later on Peter... James and John will be beaten by the very same guys and told not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Sometime about dawn, they grab Jesus up and they take him over to Pilate. And as they bring him to Pilate, it's interesting, and I don't want you to lose sight of this, and it's important for us, I think, to kind of grasp the concept. The Bible lays out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, about verse 13, it says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pilate. Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pilate. The word witness is the word martus. He becomes an example for us of a living sacrifice, a martyr, and the way that a martyr is to defend himself. The way that a martyr is to give witness to who he is and to what he's about. Jesus becomes those things for us. And as we look at the scriptures, we just want to be able to see a little more about what's going on. Turn to the right, about three books. Come to John chapter 18. It's a parallel passage as we look at uh, the crucifixion. And it'll give us a little more insight into what's happening between Jesus and Pilate. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33 says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, Are you speaking this for yourself? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation. The chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate said, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. For everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. This is why I was born for this cause, for this day. Standing before you right now. This is my purpose. And everyone who hears the truth 
everyone whose ears are attuned to the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate asked his final question. Gerest veritas. And he walked away. He didn't wait for the answer. He said, what is truth? Jesus had already told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And Pilate, when he finished with him, he turned again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no fault in him. Seven times, Pilate will announce or pronounce the innocence of Jesus Christ. Seven times, he will say, he is an innocent man, he is a just man, or I find no fault in him. So Jesus, he, he tells, says to Pilate, listen, it is as you have said. He responds truthfully. He points him to the truth of his mission in his ministry. But when it came to the challenges against him, when it came to the, the things that, the accusations that were made by others, Jesus answered not a word. I find that interesting. Even more so when we study the life of David and we see David as in a, as a foreshadowing of the Christ, and we see in David's life a lot of accusations that were brought against him at a variety of times. And one of those times, David wrote something that I think is pertinent to what we're looking at. In Psalm chapter 38, in Psalm chapter 38, this is what David had to say. Verses 12 to 15, he said, Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus I am like a man who does not hear. And in whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear. Oh, Lord, my God. So this is why I act like a deaf man. This is why I act like a mute. Because my hope is in the Lord. So I will hope in him and he will hear. Well, Peter would go on to give us a similar challenge to the life of every believer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we've talked about it several times as we looked at the scripture. Beginning at verse 21, he says... For this you were called, you believers, for this you were called. Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Did everybody hear that? That you should follow in his footsteps. He left you an example. How to bear witness against false accusation. When it came to the truth of his ministry, he spoke the truth. When it came to answering false accusations, he spoke not a word. He did not defend himself against their accusation. 
In 1 Peter 2.22 it says, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. That means when people had bad things to say about him, negative things to say, when they were harsh, when they came against him, when they accosted him, he answered not a word. And when he suffered, when they beat him, when they pulled out his beard, when they scourged him, when they put the hood over his head and mocked him and said, prophesy, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to God who judges righteously. He has laid out for us that example. Standing before Pilate, he had already said this was the purpose for which he had come. This was the day that the Lord had made. Well, that kind of changes the whole song, doesn't it? But this was the day. This is the day when salvation is wrought for the world. This is the day when the Son of God is glorified. This is a day that we sing songs about. The day when Jesus died. Take careful look. For this was the purpose of the Son of God. Sometimes we think somehow our purpose means there will be no suffering in our life. The greatest glory in the universe is accomplished by the suffering of Jesus Christ. This is the example that we have laid out before us. That we might know, that we might understand, that we might realize God has a purpose for us. And in our suffering, He has a purpose. Because the good confession of Jesus Christ occurs from the moment he gets to Pilate to the moment he gets to the cross. And when those guys beat him, he didn't have anything to say. I think the only thing that would keep me going in a beating would be the, the sarcastic remarks I could make. But he didn't make any of those. He didn't make any of those. He just committed himself to the Father. And how many times in our life when things seem a little upside down, life is crazy, bad things have happened, what have you, are we able to commit ourselves to the hand of the Father as the one who will judge righteous? Or do we have to defend ourselves? Will we commit our defense to God? Or do I have to defend myself? If I have to defend myself, it's important to know that I am not following in his footsteps. That's a different footprints altogether. Scripture goes on to tell us in verse 15 
that now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner, whomever they wished. So every year at Passover, the Romans let somebody go. Just a show of good faith. And Pilate is thinking, this is my way out. You know, it's a Passover time. I'll just get them to, to say they want Jesus to be released. So as he comes before him, he says, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now one of the... Uh, the other Gospels tells us that he was a robber. And the word used for robber means that he robbed people through violence. He was a notorious criminal who had spent his time against his own people, beating people near to death or to death and robbing them. It's not a nice guy. Not just some guy who was charged by the Romans for, for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is a real deal. This is who he was. And there is textual evidence to suggest that his first name is Jesus. Jesus bar Abbas. Jesus, son of the Father. Who will you have me release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Now before you think that's crazy, remember Jesus in those days was like John today. A lot of folks had that name. A lot of folks. It was a popular name. Not so popular anymore. But it was at one time very popular. And so we have Pilate laying out before him. Here you have two. You have two. Barabbas, a violent criminal who has spent his life. The Pilate has imagined there's no way they're going to take him. Man, they were after me to get him arrested and to put him in jail. They were after me to do something because he was hurting and, and destroying so many lives. And they clamored and they cried for the arrest of Barabbas. But now, on this day, Pilate's going to give him a choice. Who shall I give back to you? So therefore, in verse 17, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ. For he knew. Pilate wasn't fooled. He knew they gave him Jesus out of envy. He knew he was innocent. Let that sink in for a minute. He knew he was innocent and he scourged him and crucified him anyway. He knew. So while he was sitting there in the judgment seat in the praetorium... The, his wife sent to him and said, Have nothing to do with, what's the phrase? This just man. This innocent man. I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. In fact, that phrase, this just man, this righteous man, is going to be repeated by at least three different people. Pilate's wife, a thief on the cross, and a Roman centurion. All the way through the good confession of Jesus Christ, his witness through what occurs at Pilate, people are going to call him righteous. They're going to call him righteous at the beginning. They're going to call him righteous in the middle. They're going to call him righteous at the end. When people see us go through horrible times of suffering, would they make the same proclamation? There's a righteous man. There's a righteous man. He's just. Are we filled with bitterness? Are we following in the footsteps of Christ? 
perfected through suffering. Or when people see us on a bad day, would they say, man, he got up on the wrong side of the bed. I'd say more often than not, that's the case for me. Scripture lays out for us, Jesus held fast the solid confession that he was innocent, that he was just, that he was righteous all the way through. A Roman centurion at the end is so blown away that he's going to proclaim from his knee as he sees Jesus die on the cross. Surely this was the Son of God. Because the way he did it was different than everybody else. Than anyone he'd ever seen in his life. And a Roman centurion sees a lot of people die. But this was different. There was something special about this time. Verse 20 said, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they cried out, Barabbas! Give us the one who's killing our neighbors. Kill Jesus. A bruised flax. A smoking flax he wouldn't quench. A bruised reed he wouldn't break. Give us back the murderer. When people choose sides, if you haven't experienced this, when people choose sides, they choose it hard. Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. So, they choose Barabbas. Pilate said, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all shouted to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil has he done? He's innocent. He has done nothing wrong. Listen, I want you not to miss what is occurring. He is being examined as a lamb. He's being examined in person after person after person. Is looking at the lamb and saying, it's perfect. He's spotless. He's without blemish. He's without sin. They're proclaiming him to be the perfect sacrifice. Over And over again, so that we won't miss it, proclaiming him to be innocent. But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Pilate thought he could wash his hands of Jesus. By the way, what makes this all the more interesting, this is not a Roman thing that he's doing. It's a Jewish thing to wash his hands and say, I am innocent. It was a a Jewish concept. And so Pilate goes out and he washes his hand and he says, I'm just. But you cannot wash your hands of Jesus. Nobody can wash your hands of Jesus. You must choose. What camp are you in? You are either for him or against him. 
And if you are for him, it does not mean a, a path, a rose-covered path where life is good and nothing is hard and all you experience is blessing. Remember? Jesus went before us and laid out footprints that we should follow in his steps. And where did he go? Well, to the cross. Well, surely the Bible doesn't call us that we should have to go there. What did Jesus say? If you would come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up what? Your cross. Where does the cross bring us to? Place of death, right? And follow me. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily. Come and follow me. Follow the example that Jesus Christ is laying out for us. He tries to wash his hands before all time and eternity to go. He is the man who sent Christ to the cross, even though he was innocent. The only man who could have let him go, but he would have never let him go. It was for this cause, Jesus said, I have come into the world. It is for this cause that I am here. This is my purpose. So Pilate would send him to the cross. And all the people respond when Pilate washes his hands. And they say this phrase. And I find it interesting because you guys remember the passion of the Christ, right? And the, by the way, the Jewish community gets really upset anytime there's any kind of passion play. And there's a reason for that. So I don't want us to be hard on them at all. The reason is, throughout the Crusades, the way that they would rile up people against the Jews is they would show a passion play. They called the Jews Christ killers. But before we do that, we need to realize who was at the cross? Jesus on the cross. The Romans took him to the cross. The Romans crucified him. The Romans nailed him to it. If anything, it's a picture of the Gentiles. The Jews delivered him up for crucifixion. So the whole point is, we are all guilty. We put him on a cross. It's our sin, the scripture says. But in the passion of the Christ, in the movie, the rabbis were all upset. You see, if you watch the movie, there's a point where the rabbis are speaking as they're standing before Pilate, and there's no words down below. The subtitles aren't there. You see, the deal they made with the Jews was to take out this section. The section where the Jews proclaim his blood be on us and on our children. However, it's still spoken. The only person who could understand it were those who spoke the language. But it's there because that's what they said. They answered quick. What's the big deal? Yeah, his blood be on us and on our children. Fine, whatever, blame us. Self-fulfilled prophecy. Because that's been the blame that's been cast ever since. The guilty parties are us all. I I like one of the things, not very many things that, that Mill does do I like, but one of the things he said when they asked him who crucified Jesus, he said, I just want you to know, in the part of the film where you see the guy hammering the nail into the wrist of Jesus, he said, that's me. That's my hand on the hammer because I'm guilty. I put him on the cross. My sin. Mine too. Yours too. 
That's why he died. That was his purpose. Though the scripture goes on to tell us, Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, I love how they just say that in in four words or less. How can I speak the the gravest horror to ever happen to a person? Oh, I say it like this. And they scourged him. And they scourged him. There are seven things that we see in this section, and they begin with that phrase. And they scourged him. It begins a illegal beating of an innocent man, proclaimed innocent by the governor. And they put him down. The scripture says, look what it says. They scourged him, delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Minimum 600 soldiers surrounding Jesus to be crucified are a part of what takes place in the next several verses. And the first part of that is the scourging. Most people didn't survive a scourging. The cat of nine tails, and Jews wouldn't even hit you with this. If they beat you, you were beaten with a rod. If the Romans beat you, they beat you with a cat of nine tails. The Jews beat you. They were only allowed to give you 40 lashes. So they would give you 39 because 39 was merciful. The Romans beat you until they were tired of beating you. The deal was as they beat you, you were to confess your sins. This is how they solved unsolved crimes. And if you confessed, then the beating would be shorter. But if you didn't confess, the beating would not stop. And they scourged him. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Scripture goes on. And they stripped him. The second thing. They stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him. By the way, that word, and they stripped him. And sometimes people don't talk about this. Jesus was naked. No loincloth. People were crucified naked. It was a shame. So they stripped him. They put this robe on him to mock him. They twisted a crown of thorns, a third thing. They twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail the king of the Jews. When it says they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, that word for put is the word jammed. They beat it onto his head. The long thorns and the Jerusalem thorn and the vine that they would put together as they put it on his brow. They put a rod in his hand like a scepter of a king and they mocked him. Next, they spat on him. And then they took a reed or a rod and they struck him. 600 soldiers. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And they did it all in the Lithostratos, or the place called Gabbatha, the praetorium, the pavement. The place where they did this to Jesus, you can still walk on today. 
I don't know what you think you will feel, but should you ever travel to Israel and go to those stones, the gutters where his blood flowed, and sit in the place where they have inscribed what's called the game of the king, where the soldiers would play games with the prisoners, awaiting crucifixion. You can't even imagine how you'll feel till you sit on that stone, till your tears drop in the same place his blood was shed. That's what he did for us. Innocent, guiltless, sinless. I can't say that about me. I'm guilty. He bore my punishment. He took my stripes. He bled on that rock so that I could have a righteous standing before God. He was beat all night, up early, beat until early in the morning when they begin the long trek to Golgotha. And it says in verse 32, Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear the cross. Walking on the road to Jerusalem The time had come to sacrifice again My two small sons, they walked beside me They said, Daddy, Daddy, well, what will we see there? There's so much that we don't understand. And so I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. so many in Jerusalem today we must be sure this little land doesn't run away and I told of Moses and Father Abraham and I said When we reached the city, I knew something must be wrong. There were no joyful worshipers there, no joyful worship song. And I stood there with my children in the midst of angry men. Then I heard a crowd cry out, Let's
Scripture lays out for us that Simon Cyrene had two sons. One was Alexander and the other were Rufus. Became pillars of the early church. And Paul seems to indicate in Corinthians to greet Rufus and his mother and mine. Now, Cyrene's northern Africa, probably today somewhere around the area where Libya is. And we know that Paul went away for a period of time in training. And the thought among some commentators is that he stayed. But a guy you would recognize, his name would have been Simon. His life was absolutely changed by one random encounter with the Lord. And his life was changed as he watched the way he suffered and died. And he lays out for us an example that we would walk in his footsteps. That we would trust God when our life is upside down or sideways. That we would put our hope in Him. When Scripture says they had come to the place called Golgotha, which is to say the skull. Golgotha is Hebrew. The Greek word is cranium. The place of the skull. It was on the main road as you walked out one of the gates of Jerusalem. You would pass by this way. It was where you have the stone quarry. It's where the Jews used to stone people. And they brought Jesus. They didn't put him on a hill. They put him in front of it alongside the road. So that everyone who passed by could see him. When he got there, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But... When he tasted it, he would not drink it. Gall was a, was a pain inhibitor. 
It was given often to people that were being crucified so that they would be a little doped up while they went through all the pain. But Jesus wouldn't drink it. It's a fulfillment of prophecy from Psalm 69, 21. And they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Psalm 22:18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then, in indifference, they sat down and watched over him. And they put over his head the accusation written against him. Jesus, King of the Jews. Scripture tells us it was written in three languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And it tells us that the chief priests, they didn't like it. The chief priests were upset about it. So they said, we want you to change it. Go change it. But Pilate said, he grew his his backbone, this is when it developed, and he said to the people, what I have written, I have written. A lot of people wonder why they would be so adamant about changing what was written. Hopefully I can help you understand it like this. The Hebrew language and the Hebrew uh, mindset in terms of, of literature is really focused on acrostics. You go through the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with acrostics. Psalm 119, the longest Psalm in the Bible is, is built on the, an acrostic following the alphabet. Each, each phrase begins with the same letter of their alphabet in consequential order as the scripture goes through. And then each subsequent phrase is built on that same, uh, that same letter of the alphabet. So the idea of acrostics, the idea of seeing the, the symbolism in the letters that are put uh, in word is something that was readily uh, available to their mind. To our mind is not so readily available. To them, they look and that's one of the first things they're going to see. Oh, what you know? What are the letters? What's the concept, the, the the order of how things are put together? So he wrote the word. This is wasn't there. He wrote Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Yehoshua. Ha-Nazareth, Ve-Melech, Ha-Yehudim, Y-H-V-H. Well, that's the name of eternal God. Above his head, the acrostic read, God is dying on the cross. And the scribes and the Pharisees saw it right away. And they says, whoa, 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 change that. And Pilate said, no. Because that's who was dying on the cross. Scripture goes on to tell us, Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him and wagged their heads, it's right on the main road. Everybody walked by and would, would make their comments. They said, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross. They keep saying that over and over again because they, their concept is, if you're God's Son, God won't let us kill you. 
Sometimes that's our concept in life too. If I'm God's son, he's not going to let anything bad happen to me. If I'm a child of God. But that's, that's not the same truth as scripture holds. They shouted at him, If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. They mocked him. They said in verse 42, He saved others, but himself he can't save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. The idea that they had was, what's happened to him, God would never allow to his son. God would never allow these things to be done to his beloved. But don't you see? The suffering of Christ was the greatest glory, or certainly leading up to the greatest glory, which would occur three days later. And the same is true in our life. That's why Paul said, We have not yet striven to bloodshed fighting against sin. And we haven't suffered like Christ none of us even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him in the same way would you turn with me to Luke chapter 23 and we'll close out over here in Luke 23 parallel passage lets us in on a little bit of what was going on with the two thieves in verse 39 it says one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him saying if you are the Christ save yourself and us they reviled him in the same way both of them at one point the scripture tells in Matthew both of them at one point reviled him in the same way but I love the Greek language, because the Greek language en- enables you to transmit exact thought. Why is that important? It's important in the next verse. But the other, that word other is the word heteros. It means another of a different sort. Well, they're both thieves. They both reviled him. But in Luke 23, it says something has happened in the life of that other thief. The Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, there was no sin. And on the cross, it's going to be poured upon him. The first thief who reviled him had sin in him and had sin on him. But the second thief was of another sort altogether. The first. Well, he had sin in him. But his sin was now on Christ. The other, the other thief answered and rebuked him and said, Do, not, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? 
And we indeed justly. Hey, the first step to salvation right there. We deserve it. We are sinners. We're not people of low self-esteem. That's not our problem. Our problem is sin. We are sinners. Sin taints our life. There's no such thing as saying, well, I'm, I might be a sinner, but I'm nowhere near as bad a sinner as you. Trust me. You are. Your sins have separated you from a holy and just God. And the first step to being made right with a holy and just God is to acknowledge your sin. The thief, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I deserve to be on this cross. He says of the other thief, we both deserve it. He acknowledges, he recognizes his sin. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he responds to Jesus. He acknowledges his sin, and then he responds to Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He is putting his trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. I'm trusting you for my future. I'm trusting you. Remember me, Lord. Remember me. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, You'll be with me in paradise today. Today you'll be with me. He receives immediate assurance of future salvation. And he said today. He didn't say one day, maybe sometime. He said today. He said today you'll be with me in paradise paradise by the way in the second corinthians chapter 12 paul says there is a man i don't know whether in the body or out of the body who had an experience where he was taken to the third heaven you know what paul called the third heaven paradise the presence of god today you'll be with me in paradise today he said that because our salvation is in the present tense. Today is the day of salvation. Today you'll be with me. The Bible says one day we will be with him and we'll never be apart again. Ever. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that you are currently seated in the heavenlies. Currently. Seated in the heavenlies. With Christ Jesus our Lord. Because today you are with me. First person ever saved. Saved on the cross. Watching the suffering of Jesus Christ. Scripture goes on to tell us many other things that took place. But ultimately we come to the end of that section of scripture. And the Bible says. He delivered up his spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. But we all know that's not the end of the story, right? 
thief on the cross, acknowledged his sin, responded to Jesus by putting the trust for his future in him. And Jesus responded to him by giving him immediate assurance of salvation. Still works that way today. Today is the day. Now is the time. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning and we're just, as always, blown away by the intimacy, the love of God, the depths that you would go, the example that you leave us. Father, we we come to this place, a holy of holies, a reality of salvation being wrought by he who knew no sin. That he came for that purpose. No man put him there. He gave his life as a ransom for all. As we stand before you now this morning, maybe here today, Symbolized in the two thieves is every person on earth. We are either for him or against him. We either place our trust in him or we are eternally lost. It's only two camps. And maybe there are some thieves here today who would like to say, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I place my trust in you and receive the promise of God in the present tense the great I am salvation for now if you're here this morning and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I'll just give you an opportunity brief While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you just to lift your hand. Say, these are the words that I am praying. This is my spirit. This is my attitude. My Lord Jesus, you are my all in all. We praise you and we glorify you for the salvation you have wrought for each of us. So we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.